Welcome back to Simply Stogies Presents Clear the Air, a Simply Stogies podcast after show. I'm your host, Tim. And from the luxury of the heated ice fishing tent inside my garage, because it is a cold as 29 degrees outside. And I'm just putting that out there because I know James is going to give me shit about it. Uh, but, you know, hey, uh, like always, we got two people that joined me on this show. That's James and Nick. I'm going to start with Nick today because he is so excited to be on the Riverside platform. My favorite. And utilizing, yeah, Android uh, devices and, you know, that kind of thing. So, Nick, how are you doing? What do you smoke? I'm doing well. You know, I'm, I had to check my contract to see if I could be on Riverside software because I'm signed exclusively with Zoom and other companies but i think i can make the exception this i, one I time. feel like you're signing way too many contracts you got one with simply stogies uh -huh. you got one with clear the air and well, now you know, talent is talent what are you gonna ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't argue that point what are you smoking uh good question i just took off the band um <laughs> i don't know how's that how's is that it for? good though is it at least good are you enjoying it, it? It's okay. It's uh, it's supposed to be a good cigar. I know that. My cigar, my <laughs> cigar supplier of all things, non LH Nick that I smoke every other brand out there, and um, you know, some are good, some are not. But I tell you, yesterday I don't know if it's too premature before we announce James, but I had the uh, Lou sent me the his new cigar, the the Lure. Uh, he sent one of each Vitola. I don't know if he's got more than three Vitolas, but the Robusto, the Torpedo, and the Toro. I started off with the Toro, and I have to say I did enjoy that cigar. It's something I would smoke again. It, I guess I wasn't expecting it to be that good. I, you know, I don't mean it in a bad way, but like a lot of stuff that I smoke out of Dominican Republic, it's just the same. Um just seems to be that way, but no, it was definitely very enjoyable. And I, and I was telling uh, my co-hosts here that uh, I would definitely smoke that again for sure. Absolutely, uh, uh, Lou sent me some lore cigars as well. In fact, uh, the cigar I'm smoking is one of his uh, test blends right here. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it. I'll let him do that at some point. Um, but yeah, absolutely, it is good. Speaking of lore and lore cigars, because. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Nimmer and Valakari's, Valakari's cigars. So that's why we're talking about lore uh, right now. Uh, but let me introduce James because he's just jumping at the bit to uh, give me shit and uh, yell at me and, uh, and and lie when he says I'm doing a good job. So, James, uh, how are you doing? What are you smoking? All of those things are objectively true, Tim. Thanks for asking <laughs> what I'm, uh, how I'm doing, what I'm smoking. I am smoking a lure. I'm smoking the Big Lou. Uh, it is a Nicaraguan uh, out of uh, Esteli in Nicaragua, uh, and it's from Tabacalera de Pages, uh, and Raymond Pages there. And the reason we're talking about the lure, uh, because this is the after show for uh, the Nimmer episode from Valakari Cigars. Nimmer, this is one of the secret projects that we were talking about uh, in that interview, uh, specifically this one, because I am friends with Lou, and Lou has been friends with Nimmer for years. And so Lou is now in the cigar business, and... Uh, so congratulations, Sam. They're on a soft launch right now. Uh, the the um, official launch, uh, as it were, will come at the beginning of the year. Uh, and there'll be press releases and all kinds of stuff. I'm sure you'll see everywhere else. But for right now, we are very 
lucky to be able to get these and we got these from i got mine and you can see the box or the the, the bundle right there how do you get vinyl uh stickers for your <laughs> humidor a, printed so fast I don't, you know it's amazing when i get new cigars in i have to uh do a vinyl sticker so that it just looks like it's full i guess i don't know um fuck you eric um <laughs> oxfordcigarcompany.com has these right now in stock he's got three vitolas the big lou uh the little tony which is a robusto which has a a little bit of a sweeter profile uh than the toro which is the big lou and then of course they've got the blt which is the torpedo version of the big lou it's all the same blend it's all it all comes from this root blend on the toro uh, and honestly uh you know like nick said and I'm sure it's much more prevalent for Nick than it is either you or I, Tim. Um, but <laughs> most likely when we get, because like, we get the, Hey, I have got a cigar company. Like we, would you smoke my cigar? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. I never have high, high expectations. I never do. Uh, but I know, I know that Valakari is really good. And so when Lou was like, hey, I'd like to send you some samples and kind of get your feedback before we launch, but kind of what you think of these blends. So I tried some test blends for him. Uh, he made the final decision. He took my feedback and a bunch of his friends' feedback and a bunch of people he knows feedback and, and kind of made the decision on which direction to go. And I think he, he hit a home run here. Uh, so I had nothing to do with the cigar. So smoke with uh confidence guys that's not my shit palette who was like this cigar. <laughs> but I, I, right. I, I like nick i was i was shocked and i shouldn't have been shocked because it comes from tobacco layer to pages uh which does valakari and everything that nimmer puts out and uh, the the construction is like fantastic on this cigar it's got a a, a straight line the ash is compact and the flavors are just really good I, I really do like it. Uh, there's a little bit of spice and uh, leather and that earthiness, uh, a little um, a little sweetness. The sweetness is more pronounced in the Robusto. But, guys, if you want to check it out, because I don't want to bogart the whole show talking about Lure Cigars, OxfordCigarCompany.com. They carry uh, the Lure, the Big Lou, the Little Tony, and the BLT. Go to OxfordCigarCompany.com. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, Lucas and, and company there will be more than happy to hook you up with what they've got in stock. But you're going to want to jump on this because this might be the new hotness for a minute. For at least a minute, definitely. Uh, Nick, I mean, is James what, what James is saying? Is that, that accurate? You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I get a lot of cigars that are given to me. Try this, try that. You know... <sighs> I never disparage the cigar because the reality is even a blend that you hate, somebody out there is loving it. Um, and that's proven to me every day about what I see in a lot of these humidors. They're selling. So somebody's buying them, um, which is great. Uh, this cigar, it's my palate. It definitely, uh, you know, there's certain cigars just not for me. This one, as I told James, yeah, I would definitely smoke, uh, you know, the uh, the Toro again. Um, seemed very nice, very smooth, and um, I, I was I was having it with some red vines, which is a no no. I, I do like red vines, <laughs> so but uh, I wanted. That's to, a new one. I love red vines. I'm telling you, they're oh, the best licorice. Yeah, yeah, I know you Absolutely like them. Crazy. When we were silly. at the trade show, I think we were at Tatawahe's booth. 
and they were giving out red vines. And you just oh, kept I don't going back that, to them. Yeah, I love yeah. those. Oh, my God. Yeah, because then I'm like, where the hell did you get those red vines? And then we just <laughs> both started going was back that, for more. Was that on one of the days where you guys were recording the uh, uh, A Day in the Life of Nick segment that still no, hasn't aired? No, no. Maybe, it's on, on, maybe it will be on video. Yeah, maybe. I'm actually maybe eating the, uh, yeah. something. No, no, because the cameraman was too busy eating red vines, too. That wasn't. He's such a dick. Man, it's it's never gonna stop, is it? Never. Not until it comes out. It'll it'll come out someday, folks. Just stay tuned. Well, you know, James, if I recall, that was his idea. It was. It was his idea. So you think a guy that pitches an idea, we go for it. We think it's a great idea for once, right? (laughs) And 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 he doesn't release it. What's going on? What what are we doing? To be fair to Tim, this this whole show, the secret sauce, as Coop calls it, of Simply Stogies, is Tim's idea. Uh, so, right. so he okay, does. So his second, his second idea. It was second yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I get is two a year. That's so uh, I'm out of well, commission for at least two. Good news is a few weeks away next year. Yeah, oh, Nick, you're going to make me cry. I'm going to have to go upstairs now, and I'm going to have to just go through the hours of footage of following you around and, and trying to figure out how to make it a, at least a, a five, ten minute little. Five uh, months later, you've got some confirmation, yeah. Nick, that yeah, it's finally going right. to happen. Hours down to five minutes. Hey, listen, I'll take it. <laughs> it's a lot of editing. Well, you were the one that was said because I was like, yeah, I was like, well, there's going to be a whole lot of just your butt walking around. He's like, well, cut that out. <laughs> well, nobody wants to see my butt. <laughs> I'm just glad that we have uh, uh, SD cards. It's all digital, and I don't have to like make all that film uh, come into reality. Ugh, that would be terrible. Yeah, that would be yeah. horrible. But uh, yeah, so James, you uploaded for the first time, I believe the actual podcast video for me to go through and uh, watch. You're welcome. Usually I get, yeah, usually I just get the audio. And I always say on some of these interviews that you do, I really would love to watch them and be able to put a face to the name because we've heard the name, or at least I have heard the name Nimmer a lot over the past couple months. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you're not, you're not wrong. I did decide to do that. Um, and honestly, this is the first time that we started a show where we weren't shit talking you. So I was like, yeah, okay, this is good. I don't have to edit anything. I'll just send the video because I'm not talking shit about Tim. So like, just know that when you get audio, we talk shit about you and we talk video probably didn't. Yeah, you were too busy talking about um, smoking meats, which uh, at first I was like, I don't know why we're doing this, but okay. well, so we started we started to record, and then we just got like it was a great conversation with Nimmer, and Nick can attest to that. It was a really good conversation. It was it was loose, um, and, and and it just flowed really well. So we were talking. We actually recorded that episode the night before Thanksgiving. So we were talking about all of the prep that we were doing all the plans we had for Thanksgiving. And that conversation just kept going as I hit record. So you, you got, you got to listen to me talk about smoking a Turkey and uh, which I didn't do. Yeah. We just put it in the phone. As soon as I start hitting play, I'm, I'm there with my pad and my, my, my pen. And I'm like, why are we talking about smoking meat? This has nothing to do with the cigar. Turkey. Industry. But we anyway. We're talking Turkey, Tim. Turkey. Like that's the thing. We were turkey. literally talking like old Testament, literally. Talking about turkey. And to be honest with you, if you did upload all the shit talk 
about me that you do. Oh, I do. I'd be I, okay with yeah, that. Yeah, I do. Because I, I, I know you do it. Yeah, I don't cut. I don't cut it out. I just want to know. Here's what I want to know. I want to know if Nick joins in. No, Nick is always <laughs> Nick is always because he doesn't know you that well yet. But like, I think I'm getting there. Yeah, after five months of no <laughs> uh, of no a day in the life of Nick, I think I think he's there. So yeah, I think he might start talking shit. In fact, we may just guys. If you want a show, if you want a third show from or fourth show at this point, Jesus fuck of simply Stogies. Uh, where we just talk shit about Tim and it's me and Nick just talking shit and Nick will have a green screen behind him and it'll look super nice <laughs> on zoom. <laughs> yeah. Cause It'll we'll do it on, on zoom, zoom and not Riverside. Uh, let me know info at simply or just email me directly. James at simply I-, I can make that happen or better yet. Maybe we'll just do it on the next after dark. We'll just talk. It'll be a whole episode of just talking shit about Tim. Which works because uh, I'm on for about the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so. And then I'm bouncing in and out trying to produce while I'm And you do a great job. You to, do a great job. I want to yeah, see more lies, me more talking lies. shit about you. Like in you know, if you, I didn't have to produce that, I might be able to get a day in the life of Nick. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that live's really hard to produce, isn't it? <laughs> it's a pain in the ass. Um so you actually met Nimmer uh, in Florida and Florida. I don't know why I got an accent there. But anyway, I'd like to know a little bit more about that story. Uh, I just figured it was like uh, Potomac. Just you mispronounced <laughs> Florida. You mispronounced Potomac and you mispronounced Florida. Um, Florida. Florida. No, it was. Yeah. So last year, uh, as the viewers uh, and listeners may remember, I was in um I took a trip to Orlando and Tampa with the wife and uh, we stopped in, um, uh, in uh, uh, Tallahassee on the way to Tampa. Cause we went to Tampa first, stayed at beach house for a few days and we went on to Disney world. Uh, but when he, we stopped in uh, Tallahassee, I met Lou cross for the first time. And Lou is the one who's, who's doing the lure. And he, uh, he introduced me to Nimmer. Uh, and the way he did that was we, we met at a, a, a lounge there in Tallahassee. He introduced me to his uh, crew. I think they're called C4, the C4 crew. I, I don't remember what the four C's stand for, but they just call it C4. It's like cigars and sorry, Lou, I don't remember. Um, but they were all great people. And, and he was very excited for me to try Valakari. I'd never heard of the brand. He was very excited for me to try. He was like, here, you got to smoke this. And uh, I think he gave me, I want to, I want to say he gave me the Neo classic first. And I was, again, it's one of those things where when people say, Hey, you've got to try this new cigar or you've got to try this brand, or I have my own brand. In this case, it was my buddy owns this brand. You got to try it. And the first thing I immediately think of is, okay, let's go be a shit stick. It's fine. Just smoke it, smile power through it, power, <laughs> power through it, it. Power, smoke yeah, it, smile and it. tell them it's good. And, and again, I was pleasantly surprised that it was really good. And I, I was like, I am intrigued. I want to know more. And he's like, oh, you got to try this one. And you got to try this. I think all of the guys were like, they're basically Nimmer's guinea pigs. When he comes out with a new blend or he's testing blends, he's like, hey, smoke this stuff. Tell me what you think. So he gets immediate feedback from these guys who have been smoking for years and have uh, a palate that is definitely more refined than, than mine. Uh, cause Lou's been smoking for 30 years. So he knows what he likes. He knows what's good. Uh, and he prefers what's funny. Uh, I'll tell this little anecdote and I'm sure when we get him on the show, he will too, but he, he prefers stronger cigars. Um, uh, and, and this Corojo, this, this, this big Lou is not 
overpowering. It's not super strong. I, I think it's firmly medium plus, um, but it's smooth. Um, as Nick said, and, and so for you guys to kind of get an idea of what Valakari is, you smoke the lure, you kind of know what the Valakari is. Obviously there's different tasting notes, but the construction is on point. Uh, it, they're beautiful cigars. The branding is great that, that, that Nimmer's come up with. And so I, I smoked, um, a couple of more. And then the next, the next day before I left, he was like, Hey, let's meet at Nimmer's shop. Uh, here's the address. <clears throat> He's like, show up at like eight o'clock when you get on the road. He's like, so I met Lou and Nimmer at his shop at like eight o'clock in the morning on a, I think it was a Saturday morning when we left to go to Tampa and they spent like my wife and kid were sitting in the car. I remember this. They were in the car for two hours because <laughs> I was like, Hey, I'm just going to run in meet Nimmer. And two hours later, and and you're still married. Well, yeah, there was, it's like in a strip, it was in a strip mall. So like they went to get something to eat and like, we're fucking around or whatever. So, but, so it was fine. Um, but two hours later, I had a great conversation with Nimmer and I told him then I wanted to get him on the podcast. And he's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it would just never, it just never happened. And so with this soft launching, this was the perfect opportunity to get him on. And he's very well-spoken and he is just the nicest guy in the world. He never has a bad thing to say about anybody. He doesn't like to gossip. He doesn't want to gossip. He just wants to put his head down and put out cigars, and they're great cigars. Uh, I tried the Messenger that morning, which is his Connecticut. I, I fell in love with the with the Messenger. Um, and then there's the Lumineer and the Astronomia, which I think is coming out, and that's been in like testing for for years. Uh, and I think he's finally got the blend where he wants it, so that should be launching soon. Um, so yeah, and he's just one of these guys that. <clears throat> If you want to get into the cigar industry, he will help you. Like he will help shepherd you into the industry, you know, show you the mistakes he made, kind of help you on the direction that he thinks you should go. And you guys have a conversation and he's done that with Lou and it's worked out really well for Lou. And so congratulations to Lou <clears throat> on the launch of a cigar and congratulations to Nimmer, uh, which you can go get Nimmer cigars, Valakari. You can get those at small batch cigars. Uh, you can get them uh, luxury cigars, um, you know, and like Nimmer said on the podcast, first ask your local B&M to bring them in. See if they I, I did like that. I did like that. He gave a shout out and said, you know, do what you can to support your local B&M. If your local B&M uh, doesn't carry it or won't carry it, sure, go online, go to go to the places that support such a small batch and, and so forth. So I did, I did appreciate that for sure. Well, considering the man had his own lounge or shop. Yeah. You know, of course he's going to do that or he should do that. Well, yeah. yeah. And you know, and that goes to, you know, we, we talked to him, uh, Nick, we talked to him about the lessons he learned from retail that kind of translate in onto the manufacturer side. And you had that same experience because you opened uh, the La Vida Habana lounges in, in the middle East. And so, and then you took, that knowledge that you gained from opening those lounges and being on the retail side and, and parlayed that into this, uh, into the LH brand. And well, I've been in retail my whole life. I mean, it was electronics and, you know, home theater, but, uh, you know, the customers were all the same, uh, just people and people want to be treated well. And in the lounge slash shop side of business, it's all about providing a great experience. And that's, what's, Really, I always say, what, what's the difference between one shop or another? Yeah, you could have a beautiful uh, ambiance. You can have great furniture. 
But the bottom line, it's the people that work in those shops that are the hosts and the people that cater to you that make you want to come back. And um, if you have good skills in that department, those are great skills that you can use in anything. But transitioning, you know, to me, the cigar industry is like a three side, you know, it's a triangle. You got the retail side, you got the consumer side, and then you have the manufacturer side. All three very important, you know, and they all kind of go hand in hand. And, and I've been all three, and Nimmer's been all three. And I think you have a better understanding about the industry as a whole. If you're coming straight from, you know, the factory side or manufacturing side and never sold a cigar in your life to a consumer directly, it's a different type of story. You just got to be a storyteller. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I agree. I did kind of like that, you know, you were, when you guys were talking about, you know, the retailers and the different types of retailers, you know, the, uh, the person who's, uh, in the business still, or the retailer who's still in the business and enjoys the hobby, enjoys, uh, talking to people and so forth compared to, you know, some of the guys that, you know, maybe they're retired and all they want is their own lounge to smoke in. Which also segued into how some things that are said, like, you know, you're trying to get in and you're trying to get an appointment with these uh, B&M owners and the excuses that they give you. Well, you, Nick, kind of insinuated or hinted to, you know, some of these are excuses, you know, like, oh, well, I'm only going to talk to somebody if they're uh, in a suit and tie or, or something like that. I bet if you asked any retailer, you know, there's a lot of excuses, you know, but you know, at I some never point, would have thought of it though. Let me tell you something. I've gone not so much lately, but years past you'd walk into a shop and it was almost like it was like a hovering pattern of reps, brokers, brand owners, you know, just waiting for that five minutes. It's kind of exhausting, you know, as a, as a store owner, I understand the desire to have appointments, but it's always impossible to try to stick to them for the retailer. <laughs> but, you know, you got to juggle a lot, you know, and you have to uh, run it like a business at the same time. But, uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's excuses for sure. What, what is one of the best ex things that has ever been said to you that you believe is an excuse or another way to say no? What's the best one? The best line you've and ever by been best? Given. Do you mean worst? Like, what's the worst? Thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> God, I've heard them all. I've heard them all. What what jumps? What just, jumps yeah, out? Just at me? ramble off something. Well, the the stock answer. This is going to come out from most people. Uh, probably every retailer's used this line at least once. It's like, oh yeah, I just got to make room. I just got to make room. I don't have space right now in the humidor. You're looking in the humidor and half of it's empty, empty boxes. <laughs> you know, the whole wall is empty. Oh, oh okay. When is that going to be? You know, 2020 what? <laughs> you know, um, so everybody loves to use that one. And I was in my, under my breath. Like if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me they're waiting for this to, to close out this or get. So that is the standard de facto uh, excuse that most people I mean, sometimes it's true, but the other flip side of the coin is there's not a retailer out there that has space. It's never like, oh, yeah, I got all this wall space. I, you know, Usually they'll say, oh, I'm expanding. Well, I'm doing a renovation. They're just pushing you, kicking the can down the street. 
But the reality is, if they want you, they will make space for you, baby. You know, and that's so that's why it's a, it's an eye roll because they know that I know that. So it's like almost like lip service. I mean, if you give them a hot cigar that everybody wants, they will make space for for you. But when they don't, so that's the standard. You know, I guess that's the best answer that everybody's heard at one point uh, in their career at some point, you know, oh yeah, well, I got to make some space. I'm, I'm making some moves. I'm dropping some lines. I'm adding some new stuff or I'll, you know, next year, it's just kick can down the road. You know, we've heard James, we've heard that excuse going into lounges before and being like, oh, Hey, do you have this? Do you have that? Oh yeah. No, uh, I just, I just don't have the room for that. <laughs> well, but you could make some room by getting rid of this bullshit that doesn't seem to be moving. Well, yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. Next, like that is, yeah. Like in almost every lounge is guilty of that. Every lounge is guilty. Everybody. Of that. I, and it, it's, it, it is what it is. It's one of those white lies that everybody tells and everybody knows it's a white lie, but everybody just pretends that it's oh okay. Sure. You know, look, as, as much as I, you know, sit here and say, you know, people hand me cigars like, oh, hey, you know, my buddy rolls this or, hey, you know, this is my new thing. And, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, and we have low expectations. That is a daily occurrence for a lot of lounges, daily occurrence. So if my experience is there's only going to be, you know, a couple of these cigars out of 100 that I smoke where I'm like, I would smoke this again. It's really good. Like imagine, imagine owning a retail shop and getting that every day, you know, and it's just, it, it's impossible. So you kind of do as a, as a lounge owner, you have to listen to, to your consumers. You kind of have to know what your customers want. Right. And a lot of that is, uh, and we talked about this on the, uh, on the show with Nimmer is, you know, how do you know what makes a good lounge? What's a good fit for you as a manufacturer? And that's a hard question because every lounge is different. No two lounges are the same. Lounge owners are different. And there are some lounges. There's one who um, uh, is in Davenport, and it's a very small lounge uh, on the uh, north side of town. He may or may not have stolen my my catchphrase of stay smoky, friends, which is fine. Yeah, I'm there, not bitter. Some bitterness no, right not here. At all. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is bitterness. Enjoy it. However, like that lounge says things like a Connecticut rapper is named after the state. It was it was grown in Connecticut, so that's why it's a Connecticut wrapper. You you mean it's not? No. Also, the, no. they 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 you know say things like a rising tide raises all ships, but their MSRP it, like they're three times what MSRP is on a cigar, and they go, we buy what comes out in Cigar Aficionado, and they say that to the local paper. We when Cigar Aficionado has something in there. That's I buy that. That's what I buy. You're not a lounge owner at that point. You're just like you're you're not talking to your customers. You're not trying to to help the cigar industry at all. You're certainly not into boutiques. What you're doing is you're saying, oh, I'm going to let somebody else tell me what my customer should smoke. And that's dumb. Right. That almost sounds like you're the owner who is basically creating a lounge for you. And if people want to come in and smoke your stuff, yeah, I'll sell it to you, but it's going to cost well, a little look, bit more. Well, and, and I know, Nick, that Cigar Aficionado has a place. I'm not saying they don't have a place. And I know that that they're the reason you're where you're at today and the love that you have for the Leafs started with Cigar Aficionado. And I am forever... I definitely contributed. I am, I am forever grateful to them for that. However, 
when you're talking about lounges, especially in the United States, which is where the majority of Nimmer's lounges are in the United States, I think he said he's in a hundred lounges and like 50 or 70 overseas. Yeah, just uh, a total of just under 150, yeah. I believe he said. So the majority of his lounges are in the United States. In the United States, you, you can't sell Cuban cigars and you're not supposed to be able to get them. But you're not supposed to be able to sell those. So if you're a lounge owner and 25 to 30% of what Cigar Aficionado puts out is all about Cuban cigars, why are you paying attention to them in the first place? A third of what they do is all Cuban cigars. Last year, the cigar of the year was a fucking Cuban. There is like that is that is a lounge that if I was a if I was a business owner, if I was a manufacturer, I, I would step in. I would take a look at the humidor and go, oh, yeah, I don't want to be in here. Thank you. Have a good day. I wouldn't even leave them a sample because it's not worth the hassle. Because, oh, well, you know, thanks. Because I've seen lounge owners turn down samples. You know, I just don't have time to smoke it. We're not looking for anything new. Thanks. And I think you're doing your customers a disservice when you do that. So my question to follow up on the I, I disagree. Why? If the if the lounge owner says, don't bother giving me a sample, I've rarely heard that. But if I would have so much more respect for them because they're saying, don't waste your money because I don't care if it was the best cigar in the world. I'm not going to carry it. That's what he's basically saying. Fair. And, you know, it's like to me that I have more respect for somebody that says, hey, man, I'm not going to carry your cigar. So don't waste your money or time. Then somebody says, oh, yeah, leave me. Uh, yeah, You got any more samples? I want to give it to all my guys. And, uh, and then literally when you walk out, you know, out the store, they're either throwing it in the trash or they're using it as whatever. So I got a lot more respect for people that tell you, no, don't bother. They're, because they're, I'm not least, they're, carry it. they're more honest for sure. And I'm not and I, I don't disagree with your sentiment that I would have more respect for them, too, as a manufacturer. But as a from a consumer side, them doing that and not at least trying the cigar. They're doing their customers a disservice because they don't know how good or bad that cigar is. And they're just going off their prior experience of, you know, only a couple out of every 20 that I'm handed from manufacturers is any good that I would smoke again. They're not, they're not looking for that special thing. And I, I feel like a lot of lounge owners have either, I don't know why they're like that because to give excuses and, and say, no, Especially when it's just an excuse and it's just lip service and everybody does it. Everybody does it. I don't have room. I don't have room. I don't have room. Fuck you. If this was the number one cigar of the year and you had the opportunity, even in Cigar Aficionado, and you had the opportunity to carry it, you wouldn't make the fucking room. So I think it's, it, to, it's intellectually dishonest uh, for them to, to be a lounge and not try all, every cigar they can get their hands on. Even if it's not a free sample. Like, hey, can I get a sample? Can I, let me buy one box, smoke. You've done that for lounge owners, Nick, where they're like, well, I don't know. And you're like, I'll send you the box. If you don't like it, like whatever's left, send it back and I'll pay for it. You've done that with people. Yeah, that de definitely takes away an objection. The biggest problem is if you call, if you do, and I'm sure a lot of people do, cold call shops and say, hey, can I send you some samples? They're not going to say no. You know, they're going to take it. But if it ever actually gets into that person, the buyer, the decision maker's hands, that's a whole nother thing. You know, I used to say for years, if I had a nickel for every sample I sent out, you know, I, I would have a lot more money. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but the point of it is, it's so frustrating because there are some people that take it seriously, but most of them, hey, they give it out to their, you know, maybe their employees or they, they don't even take a shot. They don't even give it a full shot. 
and that's what's you know for me it's like look you're missing out because in my opinion i know my cigar is worthy i just want you to know it's worthy to be in your shop so i feel like man you know you got to get past that but it's it's very frustrating but i'm sure it happens to every you know manufacturer at some level at some point in their career where they never heard of it they don't want to even if they have heard of it they don't care they don't want to put it in and there's shops that just carry the staple big brands you know the top four or five and they don't care what it is they don't care how many people ask for it that's what they want to go for and that's and, and there's nothing wrong with it i'm not putting those shop owners down that's the way they want to run their business they're successful in the way they're doing it it's their shop they can do whatever they want and i don't put them down it's just that's not the shop for me anyway then to be in so it's it's better to know right off the top instead of wasting time you know a follow on to how hard it is to even get into some shops how important is it and i guess this is probably i guess more of a question for nick but i know james will chime in as well but how important is it really to make sure cuz this is something that nimmer was saying is that you know he's going to produce a a, a line and he's going to get it out there but he wants to make sure that he has enough cigars for the demand. And he, to him, he was like, this is really important. But then I think to myself, but there's a lot of successful brands out there that oversell what they can deliver and people still are going to jump through hoops and, and, and try to find those. And some people, they might have to wait years to find that magic box that fell in the back shelf before they can get their hands on it and they'll pay for it. So is it really important to make sure that you have the the supply for the demand? Well, one thing I've always said is that everybody wants what they can have. So there's that. So I want to put that out first. So, you know, I'm, I'm and it's been proven time and time again, not only in, in, in this industry, but in every type of consumable out there. If there's a million of them out there, eh, okay, I'll get it next week. I'll get it whenever. If all of a sudden it's like, hey, I only have one box, you're going to run, you're going to stop what you're doing, and you're going to go down and get it. So, you know, supply and demand is an issue. The other factor is most brand owners are contracting with factories to make X amount of cigars that they anticipate are going to sell for X period of time. Now, it's difficult to gauge that, especially when you're coming out of the chute, you know? So in Nimber's case, he's trying to be thoughtful in the fact that he wants to make sure that the people that he supports, that support him, that he's going to have enough of a stock for them. So it's a smart move for them to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a great way to be. And, and the one thing I'll find, and, and I have those types of shop and every every brand does, the shops that really support you and that are behind you, you want to make sure they're the first guys that get the cigars. And I do that as well as every brand owner does. You know, I'll take anybody. I, you know, my whole thing is I'd like to get my cigar into everybody's hands, let them make their own decisions. So, yeah, I'd like every shop to carry it, you know, that there's cigar smokers in there. But if I have a shop that supports me time and time again, year after year, I'm going to make sure they get it first. And, and that's a good way to do business because business is all about relationships, no matter what business it is. And if you have a good relationship with your customers, and in my case, my customers are the retail shops. Ultimately, the consumers are the people that are smoking them. My real customers are the retail shops. 
because they're going to get it out to those consumers. Yeah, they're they're the ones that are pushing your product, getting it into their hands. Right. I, I mean, that makes sense. And I can also see you don't I mean, what are the consequences if you say, hey, I want 25,000 cigars, but your demand is only 10,000. Yeah. You're left over with 15,000 cigars you can't sell, which look. You, when you're starting a brand, like I think there's a difference between when, like, so where Nick's at, where Balakari's at, and where Lure's at, okay. And so sure. when you're at when you're at Nick's level, which is established, he's been around for 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 years now. He's got his his three core lines. Then he's got the Nick. He's got the Nick line. He's got the he's got several lines out. Right. He's got the Nikos. He's got all kinds of things going on. And then you look at Valakari where he's got his core, his core line, and he's just getting ready to to really launch the Astronomia. And and so that'll add another another core line to his core line. And he's got some LEs. And then you look at Lou and the Lure, and that's brand new. They're all in different stages of corporate life, I guess, of their lifespan, right? So Sure. It, it's it's a it's a learning process. How many cigars do you start with, and then you go through growing pains? I'm sure Nick went through growing pains with LH, which you know probably looks something like, "Oh shit, I'm almost out of cigars. <laughs> like I need to, I need to, I need to have more rolled. I need to get a hold of the factory and get more rolled." Well, now how many do I need? You know, were there ever times, Nick, where you either overestimated how many you were going to need, or you underestimated how many you were going to need? Well, I'm in a unique position because of the factory, um, being a part of the factory. So I have not been in that position. I have been in the position where I'll produce enough. Yeah, I've been in that position, especially uh, with a new cigar. You anticipate how many you're going to need for that quarter, that year, whatever. uh, And it goes and it flies off and then you got to make more and then you got to wait three months. So, yeah, everybody's been in that position. I don't care who it is, how big, how small. Um, it happens to everybody. Yeah. And it's just, it's part of doing business, right? So when yep. that happens to Nick, he's got a way that he deals with whatever overstock he has, whether it's, he's able to send it back to the factory and it sits there in a warehouse, whether he's got a warehouse. No, here no, that- no. I, I, I never have too much because w- the way I do it is I let it sit at the factory and I call it. My biggest problem is I, I it could take two weeks for me to get the next shipment, but most of the time, the most I'll be out if I still have inventory is two weeks if it's out completely and it's just being re uh put into production and then it's three months but generally i have i never had too much because if i have too much it just sits at the factory yeah so it's not not a not an issue for me yeah and so you know with with lure you know this is and i can't wait to have lou on to talk about this as a brand new uh, manu- Do you have manufacturer any idea uh, when when we can expect sometime that? next An sometime like that? sometime next year probably year. probably June is when it'll air. Oh, nice for reasons that will be apparent in June. Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I, I don't think he would mind me saying this. Is that when when you when you when you make the decision and you commit to it. You don't know if the business is going to take off or not. You know, you like the cigar and you know the people that you've let smoke it like the cigar, but you don't know how, like we, we, we spoke about earlier, you don't know how 
the, the, the lounges are going to react. You don't know how the B&Ms are going to react. You don't know how the consumer is going to react. You don't know, you know, you think you're in that sweet spot of, okay, I'm between this many cigars and this many cigars. And if I sell this many, like lose, like, look, if this doesn't work, if people don't like the cigar and I, I have X amount, I just have a ton of cigars to smoke, <laughs> you know, I don't have to buy <laughs> right. cigars for a while. So there, there's that, but I mean, I can't imagine starting a cigar company and then agonizing over, man, I just spent X amount to have X amount rolled. Like if this doesn't work, I guess I'm, I am just smoking these for a while. Cause no one's buying them. Like, this is just my own personal cigar that I'll have stuck in a cooler door or whatever. Well, you got to be smart about it. I actually know of a couple of defunct brands. I remember one guy and he is rolling and he's got his guys rolling and rolling and he has all these cigars stockpiling. And I'm like, yeah, have you you know, tested it out? Have you done some testing on it? This or that? He's like, no. And I'm like, well, you know, you're, how many you have ready right now? He's like, oh, I got about 50,000 and you've never tested it. Nobody's tried it. And, and he's like, no, it's good. It's good. I'm like, okay. And you know what? That cigar brand didn't last. And those cigars found them their way onto some discount blow them out, you know, site. So eventually they'll, they'll be sold, whether it's pennies on the dollars, you know, you go back to the nineties and the cigar boom, you could roll anything and it was selling. Any cigar was selling. Uh, they couldn't get enough cigars, but when the thing crashed, People like Lou Rothman of JR Cigar, they he was buying a lot of inventory for pennies on the dollar. Um, so there was a lot of cigars out there that were probably good cigars, but there was a lot of terrible cigars during that boom, so-called boom. Um, you know, it, it was a phase, but it did start getting people into cigars, and it was a good time. I mean, that's when I joined in. You know, it just so happened uh, to coincide with it. Well, Nick, let me but, uh, let me ask yeah. you this because I, look. I was alive during the boom in the nineties. I just wasn't paying attention, but I, I, I do remember there was a time where it didn't matter what you turned on or where you looked, what magazine you opened, somebody, some celebrity somewhere was smoking some cigar. So we're, we're, we're no longer in this little mini boom that they called during COVID, but we still have like, like the, like lure, these new brands coming out, and I know I asked Nimmer this and he was, he said, yes, there's room for everybody. If somebody wants to start their own. And, and I understand that answer from like being politically correct on the manufacturer side, but is there truly, is there room for, for these micro brands like lure uh, to come in anymore? I mean, Valakari, when they started a few years ago, they've gone from micro brand to boutique now, as we talked about. Uh, and so for him to say, yeah, yeah, there's room, I get it, but you've been around for a while, you're established, you know, the industry, you know, the, 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 the markets, both foreign and domestic, is there room in humidors around the world for new cigar brands to come in? Well, using the line where nobody has any room, the, 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 uh, the first answer <laughs> would be no, but the real answer, and I think what Nimmer was saying, and I, and I parrot the, the sentiment is that. If you're passionate, you want to do it, it's your dream, do it. You know, uh, yeah, out of 10 brands that come out, maybe one sticks. But the other nine had a good experience, maybe not financially, 
but they enjoyed the process, you know, you know, and they have cigars they could smoke for a long time or whatever they had to do. Um, That's not listen, the kind of different you're looking at, for. No, as no, an no. entrepreneur, you know what? I've, I've had a lot of different businesses and entrepreneurs know that, look, you, you do a lot of different businesses and, and the reality is not all of them are going to take, but the experience that you gain from having a failure of a business is only going to make you a better entrepreneur and business person. And one of them will work. And if you want to be in the cigar business, is there room? Look, there's different brands coming out every day. But you know what? Somebody has, for whatever reason, the one that kicks off. Somebody has that niche. Somebody has that gimmick. Somebody has that exceptional cigar. Somebody has a great marketing background, uh, something that they were able to get it for whatever reason. There's a lot of reasons why brands work and, and don't work. You know, some cigars are, are, are total crap in my opinion, but they sell a shitload of them because of the marketing behind it. Does that make it bad? No, because people are smoking them. And then there's really, really good cigars and a lot of real good cigars that never made it and went by the wayside. So it's all, you got to have all the, the, uh, the parts in play. Well, I think that kind of supports what Nimmer's answer was, is that, yeah, there's there's room for another cigar in the industry as long as you're doing something different. You know, if you're doing the different marketing or you're, you know, you're you're being different from everybody else and people recognize it, then you're probably going to have better success than somebody who just is like, here's my cigar. Tell me what you think. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know because I know just from the sheer amount of new cigar companies that are out there that, you know, it, Nick said this a hundred times if he said it once is, you know, you don't get into this business to make a million dollars, but nobody gets in, right. nobody gets into this business. Unless you start with two. Unless you start with then, two. Then, yeah. You know, then you can. Yeah, I was money. actually, I was actually going to ask, you know, when you get two manufacturers on the show at the same time, like why is your, one of your every episode questions not hey i'm looking to make a quick million what kind of cigar should i make because <laughs> it does it, it it it's almost a miracle if your cigar company does take off and it does do enough business for you to do reorders in a second line and a third line and an le and then a fourth line and then new lines it it it's kind of like this culmination of all the things coming together in the right combination in order for for you to do that and i know really good cigars like LH aren't in every shop in America. And I think they should be. It's one of those things where the stars just haven't aligned that way for that to happen. And that's not to say that it's not going to happen in the next couple months or in the next couple of years, but it does take a lot of hard work. It does take a lot of dedication. And I think most of all, this is, this is my personal opinion because I think that cigar manufacturers are a lot like B&M owners. If you're not passionate about this, if you're not passionate about the leaf, if you're not passionate about tobacco and you're just in it to make money, you're never going to go anywhere. This is not, this is, this isn't a, a, an industry or a business that you should be in to make money. This is an industry and a business to be in if you are passionate about it. So if you're a lounge owner and you don't smoke cigars, why do you want a lounge? You're in it to make money. You, you don't, you're not in it for any other reason other than you think there's money to be made. If you, same as a manufacturer, if you're a manufacturer and you're not passionate about it and you're like, Oh, I like cigars enough. Yeah, I like the flavored stuff. It's really good. Uh, 
<laughs> what are you doing? Those people don't survive. They don't last. They're really, I don't know anybody. I can't think of any brand, anything that comes to mind where the guy's not passionate about it because the reality, it's too much work, too much effort. Um, and there's a lot easier way to make a buck. Um, but the statement being passionate about what you do can equate to any industry, any business. If you are passionate about your business, about what you do, I don't care if it's shoveling rocks or whatever. If you like it and you're good at it, you will succeed. Do you know somebody who's passionate about shoveling rocks? Um, no, but I you know, the fifth. I tell you what, <laughs> I got to, I got to, I got to tell you this. The one thing I remember telling my son at an early, early, early stage of his life, my dad, I'm going to get a little into personal history here. My dad wanted me to be a doctor. There was nothing else that he had in his mind for me since I was the age of two. I realized I didn't want to be a doctor. And how do you let your dad down? And that was all he ever talked about. His whole life with me was all about that. So when it didn't go that way, even though I believe fairly successful in life, at least I had a good life. You know, I put food on the table. I, I, I own a home. You know, I have a family. I'm happy. Uh, but, you know, I didn't do what my dad wanted. And it's kind of a letdown, you know, in the back of your head, like I would have liked to made him happy as well in that area, but you can't. So what I did with my kid is I said, you know what, that's the one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to put that kind of pressure. I'm going to put the, the pressure on him to be successful, to be good at what he does and instill the right values. But I remember telling him, and my son was not, not that he's a big, you know, jokester, but I remember saying, Nicholas, you could be whatever you want in your life. I don't care what it is, but there's one thing you have to do and you have to promise me. And he's like, what? You have to be the best or at least strive to be the best at what you do. And he's like, really? I go, yeah. And I think I used the example or he used the example. But what about being a gas attendant? Can I be a gas attendant? He thought he was being funny with me. Yeah, can I pump gas for a living, Dad? Nicholas, if you want to be the best gas pumper in the world, then by all means, you do that and just be the best. And he would like bring up like crazy examples and stuff. And he thought it was funny. But he you know sounds what? a lot like me as a kid because that's something my dad, he'd be like, just do whatever you do. Just do it to the best of your ability. I'm like, oh, that's right. I want to be a janitor. He's like, be the best janitor ever. <laughs> you know, he that's does, right. He and that's the conversation I had. Like, <laughs> and, and you know what? You know, it, it, the message came across, you know, and I let him do, you know, he would say things like, oh, you know, he was a big Kobe Bryant fan, you know, and, you know, I, I knew just from, you know, our genes that we're not going to be six foot five and, you know, <laughs> as athletic as we could possibly be, I, the chances of, you know, my son being in the NBA was, you know, it's every kid's dream or to be a professional athlete. Did I crush his dream? No. You know, he'd say, oh, I want to be a professional, you know, basketball. Player. Okay, Nicholas, you do. And you know what? He practiced, he annoyed all the kids in the, all the families in the neighborhood being out there at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, shooting hoops on a Saturday. And, you know, the, the neighbors tell me, Hey, can you tell your kid to at least wait till nine before he goes out on a Saturday to shoot hoops? You know, so he was dedicated, you know, uh, but that, that thing that I hope I instilled, and I'm sure I did because he's doing very well for himself. Um, you know, 
it got it got the message across. You know, my dad, he was just trying to do what he thought was right. He came from a different time uh, where he wasn't able to go to school. He was an immigrant that came to this country, and to him, his attitude was: look, if you have an education and you have a skill as a doctor, you could always make a living. You can always make money. They can never take the education away from you. I understand everything and the reason why he wanted me to be a doctor. It just wasn't in the cards for me, and it's not something that I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. All my cousins became doctors, so at least they did it. Well, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, think, I think if manufacturers went into this industry and approached it from – from the standpoint of I just want to leave the industry better than, than it was when I came into it, that we would have, there wouldn't be all of these C and D's you're, you'd be in seeing sent around. There would be conversations uh, around it. Like I get trying to protect your IP. I get it. But is this, is sending C and D's willy nilly to everybody? Is that the way to do it? I think there's a better way to do it. It's such a small niche industry to begin with. Why are we just not having conversations about it? I think if you approach the tobacco from the standpoint of if I can get the best tobacco I can get and I can blend from that tobacco and make a blend that I'm proud of or be involved in the blend in a way that, that I am proud of that blend, I don't think you have anything to worry about. But I think if you approach it from I'm in this to make a million dollars, number one, you're not going to make a million dollars for a long time. Number two you're 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 not in it for the right reasons you don't have the passion and you're going to leave the industry worse off than when you found it and honestly i think we've we've kind of seen where that gets us over the last 15 years it's all about the drama i mean you got to have some drama in the cigar industry i mean you, you start off with a couple c and d's and you start off with some rumors next thing you know you're making like the real housewives of casa tabaculera and it's a new hit show. I said and, the Tabaculera. Yeah. Is that your new factory? What's this that? is new factory. Housewives <laughs> of Tabaculera. Yeah. It's not even spelt right. I, no. I'm surprised you pronounced Tabaculera yeah. right. I was like, holy yeah, yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. he nailed it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was actually going to ask because this is my next question. I was trying to find a way to segue and then uh, something job. else popped in my head. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I loved it when uh, – Nick, you and Nimmer were talking about when people come to you and you're like, or they're like, hey, why don't we make this cigar in this weird size, like a seven by seven? And you're just sitting there like, why? Why would you do that? But yet you still do. And it, it kind of got that sense where it's like, I want to I want to make stuff that I want to smoke, stuff that I like. No. And a seven by seven. I disagree. I disagree. People that want to make stuff just that they want to smoke, it's the same thing that like a lot of retailers will go, you know, oh, I don't like this blend. I'm not going to carry it. Yep. You know, it's their prerogative, but <laughs> that's why there's so many different palettes out there. If you're only going to make cigar, you're only going to sell cigars that you like, you're really closing yourself off to a large portion of the, you know, I think you should test the blends. And even if it's not something you like, there's definitely somebody out there, as long as you feel that it's a good quality cigar, quality tobacco, smokes well, you know, maybe it's not your, it's in your palate or your wheelhouse. Um, there's somebody that would probably like that. So if you think it has enough merit to be on your shelf, you should put it on there, not because you like it or don't like it. The same thing about making particular blends. I've changed 
my mentality and the, the blends that I've made. Initially, I made blends for my initial market, which was not the U.S., which with a Cuban palate in right. mind, um, people that have normally only smoke Cuban cigars, if they tend to go to my cigar, it reminds them of a Cuban cigar, but it's different. That's why they were calling it the bridge cigar and all that stuff, you know, and it was a good bridge to the new world tobaccos. So I knew what my market was in the U.S. People don't normally smoke Cuban cigars they are not used to that flavor. Everybody seems to clamor for Cuban cigars. But I've often said, if you took the band off a Cuban cigar and gave it to somebody and didn't tell them it was a Cuban cigar, they probably wouldn't like it or would be like, yeah, it's all right. But you tell them, oh, it's a $300 Cuban. They're going to go, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is great. You know, all of a sudden their brain is thinking and it's telling them it's supposed to be good. So they're going to give you what they think is the canned response for that. But so a lot of, you know, my initial blends, I think, were not really suited for the U.S. market because they were really for the Cuban. You know, so from for where I was, that was the right blends. When I brought them to the U.S., it got in. It started to take, but again, it's a small segment of the market. So I shifted and said, you know, I understand the U.S. market. I personally, even though I'm an American and live in the U.S., my palate was what I was making at the time because that was who my customer, my ultimate consumer was going to be. So then I started making stronger cigars and different cigars, and and they've had a lot more success in the U.S. And now these so-called American tastes are really taking hold overseas as well, where before nobody was trying them. If a cigar was, you know, like a typical American cigar, it wasn't working overseas. They wouldn't do it. There was like, nope, it's too different. You know, and I would immediately say, look, just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. You know, that's why you have different wines from different regions. They all taste differently. They're all good in their own, you know, way. So once people open their minds, their palates, and allowed them to appreciate something that they're not used to smoking, they expanded their horizons. And there are people that will never, they, they find one cigar and that's all they'll smoke from day one for 50 years, 100 years, like, uh, you know, George Burns, you know, he didn't care. He, he, you know, he had his little brand that he had, the El Producto, and, you know, it was uh, the cheapest cigar out there. He smoked it every day. And, and he often said, you know, people had, were giving him, you know, very expensive cigars. And he's like, no, I don't want them. I don't like them. It's just not me. And, you know, you got to respect that too, but that may not be what you or I would do because I think it's great. You know, the reason why I smoke every other cigar that's out there is because I want to know what people are smoking. doesn't mean I have to like it, but I, I can see what people are gravitating to, what seems to be hot. And that's how you, you know, you test your markets. I think it's very important to do that Yeah, and, as, and, as a brand owner. I, I agree. I think it's very important to do if you're in the industry at all. If you're a, if you're a manufacturer, if you're a B&M owner, and if you're in media, uh, you should be smoking everything to see what people smoke. It's not what we put out as media. I promise you it's not. Um, our, like the top 10 list we're going to come out with at the end of this year here in a couple of weeks, guys. It's not the end all be all list. It's our top 10, but it's not the top 10. And I promise you that whatever Cigar Aficionado puts out and their fucking Cuban bullshit that's going to be in there and their shit that's been released not this year, that's not a true top 25 of 2023 and it's all pay to play and people put in hundreds of thousands of dollars in marketing to get on that fucking list. That ain't it either. So if you're a B&M and that's what you're buying is what's in that top 25 list, like fuck right off. 
you're not in the industry. You read a magazine and you go to that mag. What people smoke, and it's regional. I don't think Nick would disagree with that. It's regional. Um, I think it goes by country, and then you can dig down region by region in each country, and it's going to be different. It's like wine. It goes shop to shop. Yeah. There's certain shops that smoke a certain type of cigar, and everybody seems to want that type because, you know, it's everybody wants company. You know, nobody wants to smoke that different cigar. That's why people smoke the, the well-known brands because everybody wants the Me Too cigar. You know, coming from electronics background and consumer electronics, we used to have this phrase that the only two brands that really anybody cared about was Sony and Bose. Yep. Nobody knew what anything else was. Nobody knew what a Nakamichi was or a Pioneer. So everybody wanted the Me Too. Why was Bose successful? I mean, yeah, they make good products. They have good engineering. But, you know, the tagline is better sound through research. We would jokingly say better sound through marketing because they did spend a lot of money on marketing. I'm not trying to disparage Bose. I have a lot of Bose products and I do love Bose. But were they very overpriced for what they were? I think so because... I was selling stuff that was half the price and sounded better, but not to take it away from Bose, but you know, that's what a retailer would do. You want to offer something to your customer and say, okay, look, I carry the Bose over here. You want to spend $9.99 for this box, or I got this box here for $600. You tell me what sounds better. Yeah. And, I, and so that's what they should do with cigars. I, hey, I, agree. I know you like box A. That's the brand. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that brand. Everybody smokes it. But you know what? The reality is most people still smoke box A, even if they like box B, because they want to be in the in the like comfort zone of everybody saying, oh, look, he's smoking, you know, brand X because everybody knows brand X. And a lot of people won't venture to smoke something that they don't know. That's not everybody. But I, I, I venture to say it's probably the majority. But the majority of cigar smokers aren't listening to podcasts and aren't on social media and don't go to websites. They may buy Cigar Aficionado maybe once a year to see the top, you know, uh, 100 of the year or whatever, and they'll go to a shop and go, give me one, two, three, four, and five, you know, because Cigar Aficionado says that's the best. Yeah. People do that to this day, have been doing it from day one. Yeah, and those are the people that I don't ever want to smoke their cigars with. Uh, but the, people do do it. I, I, look, there. when you go into any lounge, there are what I like to call the local influencers. And it's usually one or two or three guys, typically they're guys that have been smoking for a long time and they'll go in and they'll try the new stuff first. And then based on what their reaction is to that new stuff, that may, that cigar may or may not take off in the lounge. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It could be the best cigar in the world, but you get one guy that says it's shit stick and he doesn't know what he's talking about, or he has some ulterior motive of why he's saying that it will not take off because they don't want to piss off, you know, the guy that's supposed to know everything. Yeah, it, which is, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, it really is. And when we do reviews here at Simply Stogies, that's the first, like, if we like it, we like it. If we don't, we don't. The furthest thing from my mind is, is whether or not I'm trying, I'm not trying to influence anybody's opinion of a cigar or a cigar brand, which is why I have the owners on and I have the blenders on and I have the people in the industry on. Because I want you to get to know them and their story and, and, and kind of what they're all about. But when it comes to, like, you got you to gotta burn to learn. That was the first phrase that I really took away when I, when I started this, uh, this, this journey into cigars was you got to burn to learn. And if you're, not, if you're not trying new stuff and if you're that guy that comes in and wants to smoke, whatever, 
again, I'm not going to disparage a brand, even if it rhymes with Slurka. Uh, and you want to smoke that, smoke what you like, that's fine, but not not the same thing every day. I couldn't do that. I could not do that. When I know that there are brands like LH and Valakari and Lure, and then you got Davidoff and Padron and like all the, the usual suspects, right? I, why are you limiting yourself to one thing? And if you walk in and you ask an owner, the lounge owner, hey, man, like what's new? What are you smoking this good? And they're like, oh, you know, this isn't a good fit for any manufacturer because you're not you're not pushing anything except what's going to make you money. So I'm not asking you shit and I should probably find a different lounge. Yeah, that's interesting that you say, you know, you're not going to smoke the same cigar. I mean, because you and I, for sure, uh, we're primarily box perchers. We purchase boxes yes. um, just because I think it's the better deal to just buy the box compared to a five pack. If I like whatever. the cigar, I want to smoke it more than once. That that's also the case. And there's, there's been a few cases I'll buy some, like I'll buy a box cause I want to try it and uh, I don't like it. And that sucks because now I'm, now I've got this box of cigars I'm trying to pawn on my friends. Um, so is it but, a good deal at that point? <laughs> you no, know, I usually end up having to, uh, yeah. Anyway, I guess where I, think I was you going. Answered your own question. <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea to buy boxes of cigars because it's a better deal. Yeah, it's a good deal if you like the cigar. If not, then then you're stuck and you just overspent when you should have only had maybe two to five to realize it's not something that you really like to smoke. So now you're stuck with another fifteen. Very that you overpaid. Very rarely will I buy a box or a bundle of something without having smoked it first. Very rarely. Well, this is true. <laughs> It, it, it is true. In fact, the like, last, in fact, the last before, one, I bought the Year of the Dragon from Davidoff. I haven't smoked because that's going to be my birthday smoke. I was born in 76, Year of the Dragon. It's going to be my birthday smoke every year for the next 10 years. I'm not going to smoke it until February, but that box was $600. Now, if I light one up in February and it's a shit stick, I'm going to be pissed. But I'm, at least I only have to smoke that shit stick one time a year for the next 10 years. Maybe it'll get better. I don't know. But very rarely do I do that, and I only do that for certain releases. Before you started pushing your palate onto mine, <laughs> I was that? going out there. Nick, are you <laughs> hearing this bullshit? Are you hearing this? Like, I well, because that's because no, you don't have work. a cigar shop with the guy that knows it all to to, to do it for you. So you have James. Yeah, they absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, but no, where I'm trying to get to, and this is the final topic that I have uh, for this episode, but I was getting to, and I love this question it, when we talk about the prices of cigars and the prices getting up to the, the $20 range. And I remember when James and I first started hanging out, I'm like, $5, that's my budget, $5 per stick. Now, if I touch $5. a $5 cigar, James says... Do you like rocks too? <laughs> okay, look. So, wait, but, wait, wait. but it always, like this, this always needs, bothered wait, me. Wait, wait, I feel like that needs a little bit of context because without context, I just seem like an asshole. No, you don't need a context. I don't, you don't need, I am an asshole. asshole. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, look, when I, when you and I first met Tim, like, what were you, what were you smoking? Or what were you buying? Oh, you know, the, the general stuff. Okay, not, I don't want to name brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, it wasn't just general and Altadis. It was stuff you got on clearance from places. Like oh yeah, the the clearance <laughs> box online. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you know when you can be like, I'll give you five dollars for that, and they would either take it or they wouldn't. Yeah. 
And and that was peer pressure because I meet Jim. I'm the I'm I'm a cigar rights of America ambassador, and I'm supposed to have all this knowledge. And then James walks in. He's like, I've got a thousand cigars. And I'm like, shit, I got to up my game. So I <laughs> just started. Just because I make poor life decisions doesn't mean that you have to follow suit, Tim. Jesus Christ. It took me four years to figure this out. <laughs> but I, I will say that when I introduced you to certain brands, uh, you were like, oh, this stuff's really, really good. I'm like, yeah, like stop smoking yeah, that there's, shit. There's, you got for there's $5. There's a whole new world out there. But you, right. like, to your point, you did say very early on, I don't smoke $20 cigars. You did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And now, guess what? Like, that's probably going to be the norm more often than right. not. So I think you're going to have to adjust that for inflation, my man. Right. And that's where this is what I loved that Nimmer said. He's like, yeah, it's $20 cigar, but your brand new F-150 can be $100,000. So when you look at it from that angle, you're like, well, 20 bucks really ain't that bad. It, it's not. And... I've looked at it this way for, for since I started smoking, because I, I was lucky. I had a group of, of uh, enthusiasts and aficionados that, that pushed me away from the usual suspects and into brands like LH and Valakari and the boutique stuff and Castagli and, and the list goes on and on and on. So I was, I was lucky to have those guys go, why are you smoking that Monte Cristo, whatever? smoke this it's it's better it's going to be a you know the same strength the same body the same you you'll like it it'll it, sure enough like nine times out of ten i did i i enjoyed it better than um some of the mainstream brands that are out there but yeah you're right when when you look at it i look at it as i'm spending twenty dollars for an hour to two and a half hours of me time and when you break it down by hour it's less than ten dollars an hour and, and to me, I'm, I think I'm like, not to, not to quote a commercial, but I'm worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm worth, uh, I am worth uh, that. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Uh, bullshit. I am worth, I, I am worth treating myself to this, you know, w when I have time to do it, which is, you know, four, three or four times a day. Um, and does it get expensive? Yeah, it does. But you know what? What's the alternative? The alternative is not having that that time to sit down and decompress and think things through or, you know, whatever, spend time with friends. I think I think that's that's what this is all about. Is like when we come together and do this, like this cigar, I think it's a $12 cigar, the lure, the big lure, it's a $12 cigar. For the for the hour that I get to sit here and I get to talk to my friend Nick, uh, and my acquaintance Tim, and, <laughs> and 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 I and we get to we get to talk about this this these these rolled up dead leaves that we're all passionate about, and we all, um, you know, want to be involved with. I, you can't put a price on that, and so it's so be. I, I don't like it. Sure, I'd rather this cigar that's really good be six dollars instead of twelve dollars. And I'd love for this box of Davidoff Year of the Dragon not to be $600, $60 a fucking cigar. I would love that. But you know what? <clears throat> it, 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 treating yourself every once in a while, not, it's fine. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. You're worth it, damn it. You're worth it. Except him. He's not. He can't pronounce Potomac. Barely pronounce Tabacalera. 
So you keep on smoking your five dollar cigars, Tim. Go back to them. <laughs> just send me, just send me what you got left. That's good stuff. It ain't much. It ain't much. <laughs> I, I, I... <laughs> Do you disagree, Nick? It's worth it, right? At the end of the day, if you think it's worth it, it's worth it. The phrase that comes to mind is "Life's too short to smoke shitty cigars," and that is what you should live your life by. In in general, anything. You know, if if a cigar is $20 or $5, if it is not your cup of tea, don't smoke it. Don't power through something just because other people are telling you it's a good cigar. You don't like it, put it down. Smoke something you want to smoke. If you don't like it, go to the next one. You know, life, you know, you, you, that's how you find a good cigar. Find a cigar that's right for you. So, yeah, absolutely. Life is too short, man. If this is what we enjoy as you call them, rolled up dead leaves, you know? <laughs> you just bring the life to the party. Yeah, rolled up dead leaves. Who'd you bring uh, to the, the party? The other thing My that friend. I, I think when people put prices on cigars, if you see what goes into making a cigar firsthand, you know, the, the amount of time and effort and aging and how, you know, you know, you heard the 300 hands and all this stuff. I mean, you know, you're fermenting, you're aging. It's a three-year process. It's being rolled. It's being checked. It's being packaged. Um, you know, $20 sounds like a lot of money. But the only reason we're getting cigars for less than that and have been for all these years is because the reality, folks, is it's not being made in the U.S. <laughs> you know, you got to pay people the salaries that people make here. And there are some good cigars coming from the U.S. these days. There's a couple of good ones, you know, and somehow, you know, they're keeping the prices as as low as they possibly can, I believe so. And, you know, it's tough, but because of we live in the United States and these cigars are made predominantly not in the United States, uh, we can smoke relatively inexpensive cigars for these are all pieces of art. You know, these are handmade products and they're all different. And, you know, you should respect the cigar. You should respect it. Even the $5 cigar, the 20 you know, regardless of the price, you know, respect the hobby, respect what you're smoking and enjoy it. Ultimately, that's the, the most important thing. You have to enjoy it. Yeah. Now, that's, that's not to say because in the next episode next week with Charlie Minato, <clears throat> you're going to hear him say, we, we ask him about this, right, Nick? We ask him about the, this, this, this jump in price in cigars that we're seeing. Uh, and he says, it's a money grab. They're not doing anything objectively different than they've done before. Um, this is a money grab. They, they're looking at the Cuban prices going, oh, 300%. Well, in most cases, he's right. But at the same time, tobacco prices have continuously gone up. Every If it's a money grab, it's a money grab at all levels. It's the people that are growing the tobacco, that are selling the tobacco, that are transporting the tobacco. So they're all grabbing more money because they can. So it makes all the, you know, it, it goes down the line and eventually the consumer is going to pay the higher price. So yeah, it's a money grab, but at what level? It's not just, not necessarily just the manufacturer says, okay, this cigar costs me the same as it did three years ago, but I'm going to charge three times the price like some brands and manufacturers and Cuba has done. But, you know, Cuba's had a reason for doing what they're doing. Um, and for them, is it the right move? I don't think ultimately, but for the short term, it's what they need to do to, to do what they got to do. But, you know, I, I what they've done to brands like Trinidad is, you know, that brand was 
was supposed to be, you know, the, the equivalent to Cohiba. And they kept putting it up at that same level. And it was selling well. But when they triple priced everything, you know, the Cohibas and the Trinidad's, those are the two brands that literally overnight tripled. <coughs> Trinidad fell off the, you know, they can't sell a Trinidad now. So what are they going to do? Lower the price? That wouldn't be a good move. So they really killed that brand in the short term. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with try to save that brand because it, it's a good cigar. But, you know, when you can buy a Cohiba, everybody knows Cohiba. You're buying the name. You're buying the, you know, the everybody like, what drives me crazy, no matter where you go in the world, whether it's the U.S. or not, people oh, are, you smoking a Cohiba? It's not even a Cuban. It's a Cohiba. I'm like, Jesus Christ. You know, it's like everybody knows that brand. You know, this episode, we were talking about Nimmer and Balakari and the cigar industry at large. Um, and we kind of <clears throat> went down a few rabbit holes, but I, I want to bring it back and I, I want to end it with, I think that Nimmer is one of those guys who gets it. He, he understands and he's, and he's young. He's young. He's just a kid. I mean, I say that now, How old is but he? when I was his age, I was like, I'm not a fucking kid. Fuck right off. Well, I'm my age now. <laughs> you're, you're a kid. You're a kid. And he's, he's killing it. He's, he's, he's made mistakes. Absolutely. But he's learned from those mistakes. And not only has he learned from those mistakes, but he's willing to share that, that knowledge and that wisdom with others who are coming up. I, I honestly think, and I don't, I don't know how Nick feels, but I, I, I feel like Nimmer's one of those guys in the industry who gets it. He's passionate about what he does. He, he does enjoy cigars. He does enjoy, um, you know, the industry. And I think he's got a very bright future ahead of him. He's a very, he's a smart kid, super smart, super passionate. I think he's, I think he's going to do well. I enjoyed the uh, interview. I enjoyed meeting him. It was very refreshing. I agree with you. In this industry, you need more people like Nimmer, you know, new guys that have that desire or the thing in them to want to help other people, you know, and there's nothing wrong with helping somebody else. You know, I've always been of the mindset, if I know this much more information than you do about a particular topic or, you know, whatever it is. Even if I'm like down here in the level and you're way up here, if I know something more, not out of arrogance, but I will offer advice and my help, sometimes not being asked, and maybe that's get myself in trouble that way. But I like to help people because I believe that if you help people in general, it should come back to you. You know, and I think he's one of those guys that has proven it and you know, it'll be interesting. You, you said he's, he's very young. He's, you know, I wish I was able to start, you know, no, who has a crystal ball, you know, like yeah. it's better to learn in life what you enjoy, you know, young, you know, I, I, the first time I smoked cigars, I loved it so much. I knew, um, I wanted to be a part of it and it just wasn't possible. You know, I had family and a business and, you know, got caught up in life. But when I finally had that opportunity, I, I took it and I'm glad I did. And he's an opportunity, you know, people like Nick Melillo, who started, you know, as a teenager. I mean, I have so much, I guess I envy him, you know, to be able to start at that young of an age and to your whole life be dedicated to one thing. It's fantastic. Something that you enjoy so much. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing and following Nimmer's career and in, in, in the industry. And uh, I hope I get to know him better over yeah. the years. <clears throat> I, I put him in the same category that I put the the, the kid. He's a kid. Uh, that started Y Panda. 
uh, Lynn. Like he's got that same kind of passion and energy and he's young and he's coming in and he's doing his thing. And so, yeah, I'm very excited to see what, what Nimmer uh, does in the future. And once again, guys, if you haven't tried Balakari cigars, go to Small Batch Cigar or or Luxury Cigar. They're they're on there. Check your local B and M. He's in a hundred shops around the nation, which is no small feat. Um, so so check them out. If you don't like it, hey, you don't like it, but you know what? He's got a, a great palate. Raymond, like the the cigar construction that comes out of Tabacalera, the pages is, is is really really good. <clears throat> I would say second to none. Tied with first with uh, several other uh, uh, tobacco layers around the globe, but <clears throat> really good stuff. Try it out, Balakari cigars. And I want to thank Nimmer for coming on. Um, <laughs> it was a really good episode. Uh, I enjoyed it, uh, and we're going to be doing an episode here uh, coming up where we look back at previous year and we look forward. And I'm really excited for that because I feel like this year we had a lot of great guests on, including Nimmer. Uh, so it was great to uh, watch this time instead of listen. So you guys are doing great. I might be full of shit, but you guys are doing great. You are full of shit. 100% you're full of shit. 100%. 100%. 100%. And that episode that you're talking about, guys, that will be the January 8th episode of Clear the Air, where we'll be talking about the factory tour uh, that Nick gives us of uh, Tabacalera de Costa Rica, right? Tobacco's de Costa Rica. Tobacco's de Costa Rica. I knew I fucked it up. Tobacco's de Costa Rica. I am not going to get that name right. I'm just telling you now. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. Uh, to, uh, tobacco's de Costa Rica, uh, where Nick takes us through with uh, Felipe from there, and we we do a factory tour. So we'll talk about that. But then the second part of the episode, we'll definitely be talking uh, uh, about, uh, we'll look back, we'll look forward. <clears throat> What's coming up? That's January 8th. January 1st is obviously the factory tour with Nick and uh, Felipe from Tobacco's de Costa Rica. Great episode there. Coming up next week, you don't want to miss it. Charlie Minato, Half Wheel. Great interview with him. The guy is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the industry, uh, the politics of all of it. We talk about uh, news. We talk about uh, what Half Wheel's got going on. We talk about his palette and reviews and how he approaches reviews. I think it's a great episode. You don't want to miss it. And, of course, the week after that, we talk about Charlie behind his back like we did nimmer today we put it out for everybody to see now you're going to notice because this comes out december 15th there's no christmas tree in the back there because we recorded that well before december uh because that's just how far ahead of the game we are uh and then we get backed up and we're like oh shit we got to do this one <laughs> after the nimmer episode I, we forgot so uh but so yeah you're gonna be like where's the christmas tree uh, it's still up but we recorded that in november but you don't want to miss Honestly, those episodes. nobody cares nobody cares but i figured i'd mention it so fuck it. But it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. So look forward to that. Great episodes coming up. Uh, Tim wants me to end this episode, so I'll go ahead and end it. That's, that's Tim there, there, there. I don't know. Nick's around here somewhere too. Uh, great conversations as always with those guys. Uh, make sure you tune in and go to simplystogies.com. Check out the latest and greatest. And of course, on the first Friday of every month, we've got the after dark show. Don't forget to turn into that. Uh, that's, uh, on Facebook. And on YouTube at eight o'clock a central time, first Friday of every month. So you want to turn in tune in June, January 5th. Maybe the Christmas tree will still be up because I'll be lazy and not take it down. Probably not, but maybe. We'll see. You'll have to tune in to find out. Uh, if you want to join the LE Club and be a part of that conversation on the After Dark series, go to simplystogies.com, the LE Club at the top right. Click join, <clears throat> register, $10 a month, $100 a year, support a small podcast. 
and be part of the conversation. You can ask Nick questions. You can ask me questions. You can ask Tim questions. In fact, I would prefer you ask Tim questions uh, about pronunciation, and we'll see how far he gets before I just shut the whole fucking thing down. Until then, guys, stay smoky, friends. <laughs>